Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from the Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We are so glad you are listening in. And if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, Go to www.theculture-ministry.com for more information. In this episode, Julie Cockerell, a people and culture leader, coach, consultant, and now ADHD advocate, shares her transformative journey. Her story offers a comforting sense of shared experiences as she speaks on the world of ADHD, her personal and professional path, and how she leverages her corporate background to create a workspace inclusive of neurodiversity. The discussion ranges from the relief Julie experienced post-diagnosis to the practical ways she manages her brain health through exercise, nutrition, and setting boundaries. This episode serves as a testament to resilience, acceptance, and the power of understanding our unique brain wiring. Here's your host, Lisa Mulligan. Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, and this week I have the most lovely divine woman, Julie Cockerell, on the pod. And Julie and I met because we we met at Forrester's Beach in December last year. We did. Yes. We, were you a member of her Empire Builder then, Julie? I was. Yes, yes. I was. Yes. So we're both members of Her Empire Builder, which is a online course mastermind kind of community run by Tina Tower. And since then, we've caught up in Sydney. Um, and more recently, I've noticed that Julie was doing some really interesting things. So I said, why don't you come on the podcast and we'll talk about those. But firstly, welcome, Julie. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. And I'd love you to start and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and the the work you do and the work you were doing when we were meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, let's start there. Okay, great. Thank you. Because that's my most comfortable place is talking about myself. So let's start right there. (laughs) Um, So look, my my background is, um, you know, 30 odd years of, of corporate HR and, you know, that's really been working on senior teams, um, you know, leading businesses, um, setting HR strategy. And then probably about, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I jumped out into more organisational development. So really focusing in on um, building capability. And that was sales capability, leadership capability, et cetera. And, um, and that I found was kind of an interesting um, time because I was starting to think about, well, how do I do this better? And so I I kind of jumped into a little bit more of the change management. And like I've done, I think, all the way through my career is I've kind of gone, oh, I need this skill and I'm just going to go and get a certification or I'll do a course or I'll read a book. or uh, And so, you know, I've done I've done lots of things, but you know, that what I've found really, really helpful in all of this is that I've sort of taken that change management and overlaid the, that in everything that I do. And so that's been a great skill to kind of add to the toolkit. And I think all HR people should have 
change management capability. And then um, I started my own business about three and a half years ago. And as, you know, as a, an adhd when you start your own business, you typically do that because uh, you can't find a space for yourself. You know, you've got all of these skills and capabilities and you can't find the role that really suits you, that allows you to kind of shine and, and you know, do all of the things and uh, make an impact. And, uh, and so when I first started my business, I was thinking, I want to do all of the things. And what I realised uh, probably quite slowly was that actually all of the things takes a lot of a lot of thinking and energy and focus and um, and so I kind of finally got it around about maybe two and a half years into the business I went this isn't working you know I'm <laughs> I'm I'm doing the revenue I'm doing the marketing I'm doing the finance I'm doing the selling yeah. um, but I'm not filling up my cup and I'm not feeling the the joy and I'm working all the time and probably the year before I'd actually been diagnosed with ADHD and I just started to think about you know I I kept meeting people I was attracting other ADHDers into my life and my coaching clients were ADHDers and you know so we would we would talk about that and talk about strategies and um probably the last sort of eight or nine months I've really been working behind the scenes to think about what would this look like you know how how could I make a business out of of helping people with ADHD and play to my strengths and use my toolkit um and then how do I translate that you know for people like myself who work in corporate life how do I help them be more successful and that's kind of, that's the consulting side of the business that says, how do we create psychological safety so much so that people can be themselves and talk about their different brain and how they need to work. And so that's kind of, my business has evolved and I'm now in this sort of full-blown pivot, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's really exciting and yeah, nerve-wracking and nerve-wracking. Yeah, all of the things. Yeah. I have so many questions, so many. And <laughs> I think this is probably not a question, well, it's not a question, but I have realised throughout my career I've always been attracted to people, probably more women, but but people across the board in in the organisations that I've worked in who are a bit, a bit quirky, a bit, a bit maybe different not perhaps realizing that I was a bit quirky and a bit different. Um, and and I don't have an ADHD diagnosis, but every time I speak to someone on this podcast or not on the podcast who has said, yeah, I've been diagnosed, I'm like, oh, I think this could be me. But as you were saying, you know, when you were diagnosed, then mm. then you're attracting more of those people. And I I think there's something about the energy and the passion and thinking about things differently that's really uh, attractive. Um, Yes, but I wanted to go back and ask you how Mm. the diagnosis came about because in the relatively small sample on my podcast, I speak to quite a number of women who've been diagnosed at a particular age and a particular stage of their life. So Mm. tell me about how your diagnosis came about. 
Yeah, it was um it was an interesting one and it's it's a very similar story to everybody that I meet. Um, male or female at, at a similar sort of stage. So we've got, you know, kids and we're taking them to be assessed because they've got some struggles at school. They might have some um, relationship struggles uh, or they might have, you know, a poor report card or, you know, they're, um, you know, they're very smart, but they're finding it hard to kind of sit still and do the yeah. work. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was every report card I ever had across my whole school wow. time. But, you know, women weren't diagnosed back then because it wasn't, it wasn't a female thing. It was only no. a boy thing. And, and so we know so much more. So I, I take my son, uh, to, to be diagnosed and we're sitting with the, the beautiful GP and she's asking all the questions and, you know, he's kind of a bit shy and, um, you know, but I'm in the background going, yep, no, no, that's me. Yep, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> and it was only in that moment that I thought, is that, is that me? Could I, could I have ADHD? I had no, no thought about it. Um, but it was actually the first time that I, I thought, okay, well, this could explain so much. And it was the first time I'd sort of, allowed myself to think all of the struggles for so many years that I'd never really spoken about. Um, I was sitting in this moment with this beautiful GP and I was going, actually, I've, it's probably the first time I felt seen and heard in, in years. Yeah. And and so, you know, I, I say to her, look, I'd love a, can I get a referral to go and get formally assessed? And so she hands over the two referrals. You know, my, <laughs> my son goes to one, I go to another. And it was so lovely because it was the first time I could kind of talk about all the things that were going on in my brain, you know, the inability to really focus. You know, yes, I've gone and I've you know, done my master's and all my qualifications, but everything seemed so hard. You know, it just seemed like, um, you know, one minute I was – doing really well and firing and probably doing 30 days work in one day. But the next day I'd be exhausted and staring at the wall and I couldn't understand how to regulate myself. And, and so this diagnosis actually just, it just gave me um, relief. I think is probably yeah. the best way to describe it. Yeah. yeah. Having that diagnosis, does it mean that you do some things differently? Like has it helped you in a practical way? Oh, yes, absolutely. And look, I was really lucky because I was studying um, well-being and positive psychology at the same time. Uh, and I suppose I'd done quite a lot of kind of work on myself and leadership development and coaching and counselling over many years. So I already had some good strategies, but actually the the neuroscience and the um, the brain-friendly stuff and some of the the wonderful kind of well-being tools I had not really utilized. And I just thought, oh, such a this is such a great <laughs> time for me. And I can figure out what kind of working well. But I think, you know, the the most important thing with all of this is that your brain is your your most important asset. And so you've got to look after both brains, you know, your gut health as well as your brain brain. And in doing that, you're in a, going to be in a much better position to work with this thing 
which is yeah. just this little bit of a different way of thinking. Um, but the the biggest thing for me is the confidence. The diagnosis has given me the confidence. And I think that's probably why I'm now feeling like I'm in a better position to help others. Yeah. And I and I, I love that feeling because, you know, for so many years I've kind of worked in corporate jobs and gone, this is really exciting, you know, I come to work and I do this and I get paid, but I don't feel passionate and I don't feel like I'm, you know, I've got some sort of greater purpose and now I kind of feel like I've got some greater purpose there. Yeah. Do you know what I used to think in when I worked in bigger organisations and, you know, I've had a really great career like you have, it was, it was this feeling that I wasn't doing the right thing. Like I wasn't working on the right thing. I wasn't working in my passion. And, you know, I've done various leadership courses where you might do 360 or you might do some sort of personality kind of assessment. And every time I did one of those, they would come up, you know, and you, I could see that I was working in the right career, but from these assessments, but it never felt like it. And I'd be always mm. like, what's going on with this? Is it just that I haven't found the right organization? But, you know, after you've worked for a few big companies, like, is it them or is it you, right? It was only, I guess, leaving and running my own business that I've worked out that I just needed all of that autonomy. I needed that space to do and try all of the things if I wanted to. And it's been really interesting because people will, um, I'm in a in a different mastermind now and it's about, well, what's your purpose? And, you know, you've got to focus. And it's like, yeah, but I'm still discovering. I've had the shackles taken off from the corporate world and I'm still still having fun working out whatever it is I want to do, right? Yeah, so I think there's something common there, definitely. Mm. What are the things you do practically to help your brain? What are the what are the boundaries you've put in place? Oh, look, and, you know, boundaries is a really interesting one. So um, I'll address that um, <laughs> after I address the first part of okay. it, but I'm going to write it down because I will <laughs> I will forget. So I'll write, I'll write down um, boundaries. Um, the really important things for me, and I notice the difference when I don't do them, is getting up every day and exercising. And for me, that's it could be as simple as walking the dogs. It could be yoga. Yoga is my, that's my moving meditation because I don't think about anything else. That's the time when my brain is just present and focus on what I'm doing, which as an adhd that is often really hard unless you are in hyper-focus, in which case, great. You're only focused on that and you're not focused on even going to the toilet. That's really important. Uh, the second thing that's really important is um, not eating uh, bread or carbs in the morning, which I really love. I love bread and carbs. I love it. <laughs> but that is a that is just a, a killer for um, you know digestion and because you, your brain is basically got to work to digest that. Yeah. And so if it's digesting that, it's slow and sluggish. And that means I can't do the thinking that I need to do. So that that's really important for me. And obviously the other things are things like lots of water. Um, I work in different positions and different locations. 
So I've got a stand-up desk. Um, if I need to do thinking work, I stand up and I put thinking music on. Or if I want to do more creative work, I go and I sit out on the back deck in the sunshine. Nice. And that's my beautiful, it's a beautiful time. So I get the, the vitamin D, but I'm also just able to kind of look at the sky and feel a sense of space. And, and I think, you know, that's probably why there's so many people wanting to work from home because they can flex, they can work, you know, how and where they want to work in, you know, things that they feel comfortable in. Um, I just, I think this sort of construct of turning up at work, sitting at a desk and or going to 50 meetings back to back, I just, it's just not brain friendly. And so if you're an ADHD or, or any sort of level of neurodiversity, that is going to be, that is just criminal. Yeah. That is, a, that's, that is just a, um, it's a hiding to nothing. Yeah. I don't think anyone's brain no. can deal with that. That's, yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's not set up <laughs> for being brain friendly. But the boundaries thing is interesting because, you know, from an ADHD perspective, we're, we're, we tend to be more people pleasing. And so we're, we're interested in other people, um, you know, being happy and liking us. And I haven't really, I didn't discover boundaries and how important they were probably until this year. And things kept happening. Um, and, and I just kept thinking, what, why is this happening? And it's because I hadn't put boundaries in place. And so that's kind of one of the things that I've been working on this year, you know, not just with clients, but also my partner and my son and daughter and, you know, family. And that's, that's, you know, confronting, but that's also really important for brain health and mindset and space yeah. and yeah, self-love and self-respect. So I love your pivot um, mm. where you've moved into ADHD coaching. Yeah. What are, what are some of the common challenges people have, I guess, in the workplace with ADHD? What, and what are some of the strategies you work with them with? Yeah. Um, there are, there are quite a few. And I think, um, probably the first one is the feeling that you can't tell people that you're ADHD and that there might be a stigma attached to it, whether it's real or imagined doesn't really matter, right? It's all perspective, but um, there's still a lack of understanding around what ADHD is. And, you know, we've all got stories, you know, my story, um, we had a, a boy growing up and he would climb the side of the house and he had he was definitely ADHD, but we didn't have language for that. Yeah. Um we just we just said he drank too much cordial and you know he was hyperactive. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> and so unless you've got some level of experience with someone that you know who has ADHD that can talk to you about what it is, how it works, how it manifests differently for people, yeah. um, then you may not feel confident about talking about it and asking for support and help um and so that kind of that's the first thing it's about you know do I have the confidence to work in the environment where I can be at my best 
The second thing is um, it's understanding how ADHD manifests for you and then what things actually work for you. So, you know, what are you noticing uh, that, you know, are your triggers? So, uh, for instance, you know, for me, I might be working on a piece of work for a client that's not the most stimulating thing in the world, but it's got to be done. And and so I might get an idea in my head and then all bets are off. I will be down a rabbit hole. I'll be researching. And I, I'm quite capable of losing, you know, a whole afternoon on that. And so I've got, you know, you've got to put in this sort of the structure around I'm noticing that I'm off track and what's going to help me get back on track. And so some of those strategies around um, how do you use your strengths? So what are your strengths and how do you use your strengths at work? Um, You know, it could be things like um, how do you uh, sandwich the tasks that you don't really love with things that you do love so that you can kind of keep your dopamine going? Um, How do you chunk up tasks? So, again, you're ticking things off. And that's driving confidence and dopamine levels and then just managing your energy around those things. So is it you need to work in different locations? You might need time to kind of get things done in a quiet space. Um, so that's, you know, there's some really practical things in there, but there's also some some mindset stuff. You know, this sort of, I call it the, um, you know, BS thinking or bullshit thinking, right? And what happens over time is that we create these this dialogue, these bullshit rules in our head, um, which are all the things that, you know, perhaps we've listened to and we've kind of reprogrammed ourselves around, like not good enough, not smart enough, not fast enough. Um, and so really focused on working with banishing that stuff and just knowing that you know, the self-compassion and the conversation that you're having with yourself all the time, you know, your brain's always listening. So, you know, we're, we're really working on fueling the positive thinking, but not in a, not in a kind of, um, fake way. It's really about, um, challenging those, those negative critical thoughts and, you know, changing the stories that we've got with ourselves. So that's, they're just, of some of the things that we we work on yeah yeah cool and I think in when we're talking about work I always think Mm. there's two sides to being effective there's one you know looking after yourself knowing what triggers you knowing how you're going to work at your best having the right mindset all of those things but the other side is having organizations that have some things in place that mean people who are neurodiverse can still be successful. So um, what are the things that organisations should be doing to uh, accommodate people with ADHD or any other neurodiverse conditions, I guess? Yeah, yeah. And there there obviously, there are quite a few. I mean, neurodiverse is obviously, um, it's an umbrella term, but, yeah, you know, dyslexia is a, is a really common one that obviously gets diagnosed quite quite early in life and so the people that I know that are with um, that have dyslexia have got strategies that they they have in place um, but what I notice is um, you know there, there's some 
really easy things, really easy accommodation. And so, you know, if you look at something like the recruitment process, so if you're trying to attract people into your organization, just being able to to say right from the outset, look, I, I am, you know, I am neurodiverse and I do need some accommodations or I just need to know that, you know, I I don't do eye contact. Um or when I interview, I prefer to have my video off. Um, or, you know, it might be I need some time to prepare for my responses. So actually being able to cater for different types of people right from the outset to show actually we embrace all brains and skills and capabilities and thinking um, and we are prepared to make adjustments in the way we recruit people. So it's kind of one area I think is it's quite easy. The other things that are making sure that the environment is is right for different types of thinking and working. You know, we look at organisations that have done a lot of agile workplaces, which can be really great, right? So you've got um, quiet places where people can go and they can be focused and they can limit distractions. You need places where perhaps you know, lighting can be adjusted, you know, because bright lights can be quite distracting. You know, the other thing that's really um, important are things like um, making sure that people can move around or, uh, you know, they don't have to come into the office or if they're better at night, um, then allowing them to come in later and, and work later, you know, Personally, I think these are these are important for all employees. Yes. Regardless yes. of whether you have a different brain or not. Yes. Yes. I know some of the organizations I've worked for um were not particularly um advanced in their thinking of office design. I think, you know, the office design stemmed from how can we fit the most amount of people into the smallest amount of space, essentially, yeah. <laughs> with not a lot of thought to different types of work and different types of thinking and different spaces. And, like, people hate just sitting in rows and rows and rows with whether you're neurodiverse or not. People people don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, look, you know, there are some people that are, and I remember my my first I was contracting with um, a media company and they just moved to an agile um, environment. And I can remember going in there going, okay, this isn't going to work for me. I don't have my desk. Oh. You know, that's, that's, not, but I, I loved it. I mean, my, my um, locker was full to overflowing and every time I opened it, stuff fell out. <laughs> but I loved it because it gave me the flexibility to work where I needed to to create the environment based on the task that I was trying to achieve. And yeah. so that just made so much sense. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I also think the whole hot desking thing, a lot of people like to have a home. They okay. like to have a place, whether you're neurodiverse or not. Um, you know, mm. I just so <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, there's some human issues that we're seeing in the workplace at the moment. That's a big challenge. So, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. And you and that and this is I think the the challenge for employers, right? So we've kind of gone from one extreme, which is everybody worked from home during COVID, to mm-hmm. this other extreme of we want everybody back into the office full time, part time, yeah. whatever it might be. And I just don't know that we're doing a good enough job yet of creating the kind of culture and environment that allows you to flex and be your best self and and not worry so much about the construct or the building that you're doing it yep. in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Jolly yeah, Shield, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it really is. What's next in your business? So like when I first met you, we were part of a community building online courses. And I don't know if you've gone down that path at all, but like where are you heading now with your businesses? <laughs> yeah, so um, I I've just, I'm just about to launch my new website, um, Another Labour of Love, um, and I'm really excited about it because all of my, my branding is, has been developed and my website has been developed with, you know, an ADHD brain in mind. So oh. um, that's, that is quite exciting. And then at the end of this year, um, I will have set up a, a learning site um, and I'll do a couple of different things. So I'll do some, some, you know, low cost sort of free stuff that's really about what does ADHD look like and, you know, how can I sort of very quickly get a sense of what I need to do to support my ADHD at work. Um, right through to, um, next year thinking about, um, helping partners of people with ADHD support them better and understand them better because you know, we often, I mean, my, my husband is neurotypical. And so when I try to explain to him, you know, what's going on in my brain or when we're talking and I've, um, moved on to several other things and he's taken too long or he's chewing his nails and I can't, I'm like, I'm about to have a meltdown. Um, <laughs> and then I'm trying to explain that that is, you know, that's, um, sensory overload. Uh, you know, these are just some things that, um, I think would be really helpful for partners of people with ADHD. And likewise, um, you know, parents of, of kids with ADHD, you know, how do we parent better? How do we support better? Because the school system is, you know, their teachers are doing their absolute best. I was talking to a teacher of a, um, a school in, in New South Wales and they just don't, they don't have the uh, capacity and and the skills to support kids with ADHD in the classroom. So if, if a if a child is very hyperactive ADHD, that's and they're not stimulated appropriately. Yeah, that's really hard to manage, and it's hard to manage with the other kids. You know, just you know within yourself, it's tough. It's really tough. So yeah, the idea is um, I will continue with my my coaching. Um, I want to do a lot more um, educating of corporate environments. And then, um, you know, by late this year, early next year, I'll be launching some some courses that are kind of bite-sized and really targeting um, people with ADHD and, and how they can manage more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds Exciting. amazing. Amazing, yeah. Julie. 
Yeah. So exciting. Oh, mm, can't it's wait. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. I wish you all the best with your business. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been so lovely being able to talk to you about it. And, <laughs> and diversity is really important. We need, we need to understand that and, and we need to do a better job of it, to be honest. Really Much better job. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on, on the podcast. At the Culture Ministry, we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion and how progress is often slow. You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.thecultureministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something, Please share with your friends on social media, give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find A Dog Called Diversity. Diversity.